Chapters seven through ten of the Monk and the Hangman's Daughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. The Monk and the Hangman's Daughter by Ambrose Bierce. Chapter seven. I have again seen the hangman's beautiful daughter. As the bells were chiming for mass, I saw her in front of the monastery church. I had just come from the bedside of a sick man, and as my thoughts were gloomy, the sight of her face was pleasant, and I should have liked to greet her, but her eyes were cast down. She did not notice me. The square in front of the church was filled with people, the men and youths on one side, on the other the women and maidens, all clad in their high hats and adorned with their gold chains. They stood close together, but when the poor child approached all stepped aside, whispering and looking askance at her, as if she were an accursed leper and they feared infection. Compassion fill my breast, compelling me to follow the maiden, and, overtaking her, I said aloud, God greet you, Benedicta. She shrank away as if frightened then, looking up, recognized me, seemed astonished, blushed again and again, and finally hung her head in silence. "'Do you fear to speak to me?' I asked. But she made no reply. Again I spoke to her, "'Do good, obey the Lord, and fear no one, then shall you be saved.' At this she drew a long sigh, and replied in a low voice, hardly more than a whisper, "'I thank you, my lord.' "'I am not a lord, Benedicta,' I said, "'but a poor servant of God, who is a gracious and kind father to all his children, however lowly their estate. Pray to him when your heart is heavy, and he will be near you.' While I spoke she lifted her head and looked at me like a sad child that is being comforted by its mother, and still speaking to her out of the great compassion of my heart. I led her into the church before all the people. But do thou, O holy Franciscus, pardon the sin that I committed during that high sacrament. For while Father Andreas was reciting the solemn words of the Mass, my eyes constantly wandered to the spot where the poor child knelt in a dark corner set apart for her and her father, forsaken and alone. She seemed to pray with holy zeal and surely thou didst grace her with the ray of thy favor, for it was through thy love of mankind that thou didst become a great saint, and didst bring before the throne of grace thy large heart, bleeding for the sins of all the world. Then shall not I, the humblest of thy followers, have enough of thy spirit to pity this poor outcast who suffers for no sin of her own? Nay, I feel for her a peculiar tenderness which I cannot help accepting as a sign from heaven that I am charged with a special mandate to watch over her, to protect her, and finally to save her soul. End of chapter 7 Chapter 8 Our superior has sent for me and rebuked me. He told me I had caused great ill-feeling among the brothers and the people, and asked what devil had me in possession that I should walk into church with the daughter of the public hangman. What could I say but that I pitied the poor maiden, and could not do otherwise than I did? Why did you pity her? he asked. Because all the people shun her, I replied, as if she were mortal sin itself, and because she is wholly blameless. It certainly is not her fault that her father is a hangman, 
nor his either, since, alas, hangman must be. Ah, beloved Franciscus, how the superior scolded thy poor servant for these bold words! And do you repent? he demanded at the close of his reproof. But how could I repent of my compassion, incited, as I verily believe, by our beloved saint? On learning my obduracy the superior became very sad. He gave me a long lecture and put me under hard penance. I took my punishment meekly and in silence, and am now confined to my cell, fasting and chastising myself, nor in this do I spare myself at all, for it is happiness to suffer for the sake of one so unjustly treated as the poor friendless child. I stand at the grating of my cell, looking out at the high mysterious mountains showing black against the evening sky. The weather being mild, I open the window behind the bars to admit the fresh air and better to hear the song of the stream below, which speaks to me with a divine companionship, gentle and consoling. I know not if I have already mentioned that the monastery is built upon a rock high over the river. Directly under the windows of our cells are the rugged edges of great cliffs, which none can scale but at the peril of his life. Imagine, then, my astonishment when I saw a living figure lift itself up from the awful abyss by the strength of its hands, and, drawing itself across the edge, stand erect upon the very verge. In the dusk I could not make out what kind of creature it was. I thought it some evil spirit come to tempt me, so I crossed myself and said a prayer. Presently there is a movement of its arm, and something flies through the window, past my head, and lies upon the floor of my cell, shining like a white star. I bend and pick it up. It is a bunch of flowers such as I have never seen, leafless, white as snow, soft as velvet, and without fragrance. As I stand by the window, the better to see the wondrous flowers, my eyes turn again to the figure on the cliff, and I hear a sweet, low voice, which says, I am Benedicta, and I thank you. Ah, heaven! It was the child, who, that she might greet me in my loneliness and penance, had climbed the dreadful rocks, heedless of the danger. She knew then of my punishment, knew that it was for her. She knew even the very cell in which I was confined. Oh, holy saint! Surely she could not have known all this but from thee, and I were worse than an infidel, to doubt that the feeling which I have for her signifies that a command has been laid upon me to save her. I saw her bending over the frightful precipice. She turned a moment and waved her hand to me and disappeared. I uttered an involuntary cry. Had she fallen? I grasped the iron bars of my window and shook them with all my strength but they did not yield. In my despair I threw myself upon the floor, crying and praying to all the saints to protect the dear child in her dangerous descent if she still lived, to intercede for her unshriven soul if she had fallen. I was still kneeling when Benedicta gave me a sign of her safe arrival below. It was such a shout as these mountaineers utter in their untamed enjoyment of life. Only Benedicta's shout, coming from far below in the gorge, and mingled with its own strange echoes, sounded like nothing I had ever heard from any human throat, and so affected me that I wept, 
and the tears fell upon the wild flowers in my hand. End of chapter 8 Chapter 9 As a follower of St. Franciscus, I am not permitted to own anything dear to my heart, so I have disposed of my most precious treasure. I have presented to my beloved saint the beautiful flowers which were Benedictus' offering. They are so placed before his picture in the monastery church as to decorate the bleeding heart which he carries upon his breast as a symbol of his suffering for mankind. I have learned the name of the flower because of its color and because it is finer than other flowers. It is called Edelweiss, noble white. It grows in so rare perfection only upon the highest and wildest rocks, mostly upon cliffs, over abysses many hundred feet in depth, where one false step would be fatal to him who gathers it. These beautiful flowers, then, are the real evil spirits of this wild region. They lure many mortals to a dreadful death. The brothers here have told me that never a year passes but some shepherd, some hunter, or some bold youth, attracted by these wonderful blossoms, is lost in the attempt to get them. May God be merciful to all their souls. End of chapter 9 Chapter 10 I must have turned pale when one of the brothers reported at the supper-table that upon the picture of St. Franciscus had been found a bunch of Edelweiss of such rare beauty as grows nowhere else in the country but at the summit of a cliff which is more than a thousand feet high and overhangs a dreadful lake. The brothers tell wondrous tales of the horrors of this lake, how wild its waters and how deep, and how the most hideous specters are seen along its shores or rising out of it. Benedictus Edelweiss, therefore, has caused great commotion and wonder, for even among the boldest hunters there are few indeed who dare to climb that cliff by the haunted lake. And the tender child has accomplished the feat. She has gone quite alone to that horrible place, and has climbed the almost vertical wall of the mountain to the green spot where the flowers grow with which she was moved to greet me. I doubt not that heaven guarded her against mishap, in order that I might have a visible sign and token that I am charged with the duty of her salvation. Ah, thou poor sinless child! Accursed in the eyes of the people, God has signified his care of thee, and in my heart I feel already something of that adoration which shall be thy due, when for thy purity and holiness he shall bestow upon thy relics some signal mark of his favor, and the church shall declare thee blessed. I have learned another thing that I will chronicle here. In this country these flowers are the sign of a faithful love. The youth presents them to his sweetheart, and the maidens decorate the hats of their lovers with them. It is clear that, in expressing her gratitude to a humble servant of the church, Benedicta was moved, perhaps without knowing it, to signify at the same time her love of the church itself, although, alas, she has yet too little cause. As I ramble about here day after day, I am becoming familiar with every path in the forest, in the dark pass, and on the slopes of the mountains. I am often sent to the homes of the peasants, the hunters, and the shepherds, to carry either medicine to the sick or consolation to the sad. 
The most reverend superior has told me that as soon as I receive holy orders I shall have to carry the sacraments to the dying, for I am the youngest and the strongest of the brothers. In these high places it sometimes occurs that a hunter or a shepherd falls from the rocks, and after some days is found still living. It is then the duty of the priest to perform the offices of our holy religion at the bedside of the sufferer, so that the blessed Saviour may be there to receive the departing soul. That I may be worthy of such grace, may our beloved saint keep my heart pure from every earthly passion and desire. End of chapter 10